Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Daniel Burke, who's worked in the recruitment industry for just over six years. And for the last two years, he's been building his own recruitment business called JLB. What I love about this story is that Dan was done with recruitment. He was ready to tap out. After working for a business for over four years, he thought he'd had enough. But then he met the right partner and he started his own recruitment business, recruiting in an industry he's never recruited in before, the sports industry. So what I really respect about this is that Dan has built his business entirely from scratch. There's no black book that he could rely on to call people after he's you know done with his covenants. He built a name for himself. He's building a track record. He's supporting an industry that he's extremely passionate about. And along the way, he's getting better at becoming a better leader, a better business owner. And we really talk about how he's navigated that journey in these last two years, what he's learned, the biggest challenges, the biggest surprises, There's so much to take away from this conversation for anyone that is building a market from scratch. It's building a business from the ground up. Enjoy this week's episode. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for for coming in. Obviously, I said to you that um, intended on on getting you on, but... Mm. You've been subbed in, mate. Thank you. (laughs) you. (laughs) Privilege. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to unpacking the this last two years I, I think as we were just saying like you've been on a you know not the the typical journey mm. in the sense of worked in you know one recruitment agency or how many recruitment agencies for five years six years seven years you got exposure to P&Ls managing people and then you started your own business yeah. wasn't quite the case for you so let's do the the career highlights and let me know if I get any of this wrong sure but you entered the recruitment industry in 2017 uh, your world was support staff for alternate investment firms. Yeah. So your first year was entirely focused on being a candidate resourcer, sure. right? Then second year, it was very much now you were doing BD, bringing your own clients, all of that. And then you stayed there for another two years and even helped them open up their New York office. But then over the last two years, you actually thought about leaving the recruitment industry. I was not sure if it was for you. Uh, we'll get into it, but obviously you really, you just felt like what you shared with me that you wanted to get into the sports industry, yep. right? You're going to have to share with me like why you were so compelled to do that. And anyway, you then thought, why don't I start a sports recruitment business? Mm. And this is where we are. So you started uh, JLB in February. October. October, sorry. Yeah. 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 So so first year, second year. And this is what we're going to talk about. The last like two years, mm. this journey that you've been on, 
So first year, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think by the end of the year, you had around three people. Yep. Eight months of that, were the first year was just you. Yep. And you did just under 300 grand in the first year. Second year today, you're on around 500K currently, and your goal is 700. Mm-hmm. And, and currently there's seven people, including you. And then you're hoping to be around a team of 10 people by the end of the, the second year, yeah. right? And your your world is the sports industry. Yes. And I think all you do is, uh, it's all perm recruitment, right? Yep. And then you also do not just the UK, you've done US stuff. Yep. Also UAE as well, right? Exactly, yeah. Here we are. So let's first start with like, what what Stan's perspective on the common characteristics and traits that make up a highly successful recruit in today's market? Let's start there. Sure. So I feel like I've listened to a lot of the answers (laughs) to this. To narrow it down to one, Mm. I think it needs to be someone that's not afraid of challenging. And what I mean by that is challenging the internal team, clients, candidates on what good looks like, because I think it's so easy for recruiters to come into a a market and just do what everybody else does because it works. Mm. But actually the ones that challenge their clients on what good looks like, how recruitment should be done. I think those become the future leaders and they, they're increasing the perception of what recruitment looks like. So a challenger, um, Mm, it's hard to be a challenger at the start because you're learning Mm. and it's all new, but as time progresses, I I always like it when the new hires come and say, why aren't we doing this? Mm. Or we could be doing that better. So a challenger. I I love that. That's really cool. I I think that's, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I I really like that. So JLB, Mm. should we just also just if it's okay with you I know obviously it's it's part of the journey right but obviously worth noting that you started this business as with Jackson Lombard's yep. help right so so they helped in the sense of like back office like business stuff yes. so Dan could focus on selling definitely let's just talk about so you shared with me it took didn't build until january so what's yeah. that october november december about so four about months. four months right four months yeah so what was like where i'd love to start was like compelled to be in sport mm. then i'm assuming you thought well well you can tell me like where sure. when did you then arrive like, actually why don't i combine my you know really real interest in sport with my skill set that i've built over the last four years mm. so to give you a bit of context when i was i just finished my time at your search and wanted to, to leave recruitment, to be honest. I was a bit fed up. I tried to launch a new office during COVID and just got frustrated by how tough the job was, but also mentally it just drained me. Mm. So I thought, right, let's work in an industry that I really love. And I've always played sport. I've always loved sport. And I thought, right, okay, I'm going to look at jobs in sport. <laughs> what I soon realised is that I'd probably have to take sort of a 70% pay cut just to get in. And uh, I don't know if my ego is too big. I just wasn't willing to do it. So I thought as a midpoint, as a mid ground, why don't I create a recruitment firm in the sports industry? And I didn't really see many people that were doing it. There was mm. a few people that were doing it well, a few people that were doing it at executive search level, but I thought actually there's something here. So I got introduced to Jackson Lombard by someone who used to work there, who used to be in recruitment and spoke with Nile and James, who are the partners there. And they said, right, okay, what's the plan? What's the business plan? I said, right, okay, this is my idea. Wouldn't it be cool? And they said, yeah, it'd be cool, but does it make any money? So I had to put a business plan together, pitch them, pitch me to them really, because most business plans on the first day, they go out the window. Mm. And if I look back to my initial business, business plan, I'd probably think, God, that's some awful ideas. The numbers are so off there. You know, what am I doing? So anyway, they believed in me to do that. And we've sort of forged away in the sports industry. Yeah, now to a team of eight, just about to hire our ninth person to launch the US office. So things are going in the right direction. There's clearly a need for it, a market there. But I went into it blind. I didn't really go into it. You didn't know anyone in the industry? No. 
like no like candidate like all that because that's the typical story yeah. right, which I think is so which I really commend because most people like I was just interviewing someone that has a cybersecurity recruitment business yeah. before they started their business they worked in that industry for three and a half years yeah. right so you have covenants but then after the covenants you can then tap into all those relationships you didn't have that no no and I also had zero BD experience yeah. and that might sound ridiculous really? yeah after four years because I was in such a great machine at Josh Search mm. where they've got such a good reputation in the market and a lot of our clients just came to us you know through referrals mm. so I was given things on, on day one and maybe we'll go into sort of my first year as a biller but I didn't know how good I had it and then I went into the, the wild west of what recruitment actually is mm. and how hard it is to bring on clients and I had to learn the hard way and I think those four months there were times in there where I remember speaking to my family would be like, what have I done? I've mm. left such a good business to do something that looked good, but is really tough. And I don't know if I can do this. And I think two years in, I'm still thinking, right, have I got it? But there's clearly something there. And I think it's now just about keep going. So let, let's talk about those first couple of months then. Yeah. Sorry to bring you back to a yeah, period which right. was obviously challenging. But like, talk, just talk us through, like, what did those early three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, day to day, what did it look like? Yeah. What was you doing? What was you running into? Like, what did those first early couple of weeks where you started to have those, like, oh my God, like, great idea, you know, sounded great when I started, I had this business plan, but I don't feel like I'm, you know, getting traction. I don't know how you felt, but like, what, what did it actually look like? What were you doing in those couple of weeks? Sure. So look, no one knew who I was in sport mm. and I had no connection. So the first thing I thought of doing is just try and meet people, just try and get in front of people and ask for their advice because people love giving advice. Mm -hmm. You know, you play into someone's ego, play into someone's experience and say, look, this is what I'm doing. This is the journey that I'm on. Can you be part of it? And some people bought in, some people said no. So I just got in front of as many people as possible and asked them about how they had got jobs in sport before and just use that time as like, okay, I need to figure out how this all works and what sport actually is because I thought I knew what sport was. I had no idea. So uh, I had to learn from people that had worked in the industry and eventually uh, someone gave me a shot and said, look, I like what you're doing. I've dealt with some pretty rogue recruiters before. Mm. I'll give you a shot for two weeks. And I managed to fill that job eventually, but it took me four months to get it before I was two months in and I had one client where I got three offers. I got, I got someone to final, declined, someone to final, declined, someone to final, declined. And I thought at that point I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Wow. This might not be for me. I just had so much doubt because I'd come from billing quite good, quite mm. well. And then I was just like, I can't do this. I'm rubbish. I'm so rushed at this job. But anyway, four months in, I was like, okay, I've done a role. I've I've filled I filled a job, and the momentum picked up. And then so let's just, let's just break that down a bit. Yeah, I love that approach. What did that actually look like? So are you yeah. connecting with people on LinkedIn? Yeah, you're sending them a message, sending people an email saying like, hey, you don't know me. My name's Dan. Yeah. I'm building this sports recruitment business. I'm looking for some advice on, you know, like how people enter the industry. Like what did that actually sound like yeah. when you're reaching out to people? Definitely. So I tried to meet three to five people a day if I could at the start. And it was as simple as that. People in sport were really nice. So I, it was more like I, I'm trying to do something different in sport. I'm trying to redefine what good looks like in recruitment. And I'd love you to be part of that story and, and, and sort of give me some advice, some practical advice. I wasn't asking for a job. I wasn't mm. asking for an intro. You get a lot of no's, as I said, but I just was really consistent with it. And as soon as I got in front of someone... I knew that I could convince them to keep them in, in the front of mind and essentially mm. come back to me if the opportunity came up. So so when you um, then spoke to someone yeah, and they said, oh, Dan, look, happy to help. Like, I think that's great, great what you're doing. What did those calls sound like then? What was you, like, what was the 
purpose of them? How did you approach them? Because you were saying, you just said like you knew that as soon as you got in front of them, but like what was you doing on those calls? You were saying like, you know, tell them a bit about your story, saying what you're trying to build. Like mm. how, how did you approach those calls? Yeah, I, I told them about my recruitment experience and, and that might not sound like the, the most fun topic, but I told them that I was going to go to New York. I was going to live out there, came back, had to come back because of COVID. And I wanted to do something that I was really, really passionate about. So I just ran them through like what I typically do as a recruiter, because a lot of sports organisations have never used recruiters before. They just Mm. post an advert or they use their own network. So I had to educate a lot of people on what we do. Like Mm. why, you know, it's not just like we find someone and and send a big invoice to it. It's like, okay, what actually goes into it or how much time goes into it? Mm -hmm. And also I played into a little bit of, the sports industry isn't very diverse. You know, mm. if you look at the senior leadership teams of a lot of the big rights holders and agencies in London, people have just p- typically moved from agency to agency or rights holder to rights holder. So my big thing at Josh Search or the big thing across the agency was to champion the hidden heroes. And I mm. love that. And I thought, why don't we bring something like that into sport where we're trying to champion people that would be great for the sports industry, but haven't got any experience. Maybe they've worked in a tech company or in mm. finance and we can pivot them into sport and they can make a difference. So a lot of that was just sort of getting them to buy into my methodology and what I think about recruitment, how I'm going to challenge the wild card and be a champion for them as well, because there is always a time when someone you know, turns on, goes on a Sunday and they're, they're having Monday blues and they're like, okay, let's see what's out there. Let's give Dan mm. a ring. And that's and what, what sort of questions are you asking them then? Because obviously you was also there to learn about how things work. So what, what things were you really trying to understand? So understand how they'd got jobs previously, mm. if they'd used a recruiter, what they'd done well mm. and what they hadn't done so well. I think there's a lot of it in recruitment, there's a lot of, we're better than you, we're better than you. Mm. But actually, I think there's a lot of recruiters that are, are good, especially in sport, that do things really, really well. And I want to know what they do well, because mm. ultimately, if they're good, giving a good service to their clients, we want to give the same to us. So I'd, yeah, ask, ask what they'd like to ask what they didn't like, ask about the value in, in recruitment. Do they see any value in it? A lot of people said yes, which is obviously why I sort of kept going. <laughs> um, and yeah, j- just... Uh, uh, was really honest with them and said, look, I, I haven't got much to offer you now, but it's funny, two years later, I now have, and, and I've kept those relationships and I'm I'm really interested in people and their stories. And everyone's got a reason in sport to sort of brush you to the side because they get so many messages. These people mm. get so many messages all the time, but I got in, free of, in, in front of a few people and they said yes. And then they told their friends and I met them. So okay. yeah, it's grown quite organically, but it was really tough at the start, like really, really tough. And was you like quite specific with who you targeted was you targeting people to speak to like having in mind that these people might be hiring managers or was you like just very open on like who you would speak to was you targeted there or I tried to meet people that had had at least three jobs in sport so I knew if they'd had three jobs and they've got kind of a good opinion of of the sports industry Mm. and of maybe been in touch with a few recruiters I didn't just go for hiring managers or HR people I did meet with a few HR people because I was interested in you know when they use recruiters what do they like what mm. rates do they work at I nearly fell off my chair when I started to understand what sports age, uh, sports organisation typically pay recruiters you know it's typically around 10 to 15% oh. and I'd come from an agency where you know really wouldn't work anything below 25 so I was like mm. okay so I've got no network no clients and the fees are really low and I was like what have I done here <laughs> Um, but th- I always believe that if you're paying someone 15%, you're getting a 15% service. Mm. If you're paying something, somebody 25%, you're giving a 25% service. And that's how I pitch to our clients. It's like, okay, you can pay someone 15% to send you CVs, or you can look at us, pay us a little bit more, but get a lot more back. Okay. So yeah, it was, it was. So a- what, and then, cause I just think this is super interesting and people can apply this to the, you know, you'll hear people in recruitment talk about building a market from scratch and yeah. these things. And you built a business and a market from scratch. Yeah. And in the thick of it now still, 
So this is why I think this would be helpful for people. And then final thing on that, how did you then like map this out? You said people that have had free jobs in sport, like did you just do like a proper solid like Boolean search and then just like, exp- I don't know, how did you approach that? Yeah. Before we get back to the episode, a real quick message on our podcast sponsors, One Up Sales. Before we dive into our topic of the day around one-up sales, let's just take a moment to talk about something crucial in growing your recruitment agency, business development. The last three years have been a harsh reminder of how quickly things can change, and many recruiters are now focused on BD, and it's a client-led market for a lot of people. But where do you get started, and how do you drive success? That's where our proud sponsor, One-Up Sales, come into play. This innovative sales performance management platform brings together data from your CRM, sales engagement, and VoIP software into one place, giving you real-time insights into business performance, and more importantly, showing you what's working and what's not. With features like custom dashboards, real-time analytics, and automated reporting, 1UP gives you visibility you need in minutes, not hours. With 1UP Sales, you're not just running your agency, you're growing your business. Because you listen to this episode and because you listen to this podcast, you're able to get an exclusive discount on 1UP Sales. Click the link in the show notes, go and check out 1UP Sales. You will not be disappointed. Let me know what you think. I've interviewed plenty of people that use 1UP. So go and check them out. And they are a great tool, particularly if you are really trying to figure out how you can motivate more of your team to do more of that all-important BD activity. Now let's get back to the episode. So the start, day one, I think I just was like, oh, I'm going to go off to, after all the Premier League teams today. <laughs> I'm going to go really? off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go after Arsenal. such a big industry. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And um, I actually remember my <laughs> f- one of my second day, I got a nibble off a marketing manager at a Premiership Football Club. I won't I won't say <laughs> their name. And they were like, yep, yeah, we're looking to see more CVs. And I turned around to Niall and I was like, oh my God, I've got a role on. There's a role at a Premiership Football Club. I'm going to fill it. Uh, didn't end up filling it because look, they they probably just say that to most people, and um, I got lucky. But what I tried to do with sports, I looked at sports teams and leagues in mm. the UK to begin with, sports agencies, sports marketing agencies, PR agencies, right? List and list and list. And then the last side I looked at is big brands that have a presence in sport, like Google and McDonald's. And I know they're big, big companies, mm. but they all have, have a like division, sports, divisions, sports people. Like that makes sense. Exactly. So I tried to uh, have a real variety. The type. Of of people that I would meet because they'd see it from different angles. But yeah, I, I would map it completely out, have like a hundred of each in those three divisions. Mm. And I'd just go after five to ten people at each each business and mm. just try and meet them. And then keep a record of who said yes, who said no. Follow up. The people that said no at the start then said yes. Mm. And then how long did it take you to have that first opportunity to potentially do your first placement? You said where it didn't happen. So that was within the first month. Yeah. So I I took on two or three roles within my first month. Just by having that approach? Yeah, just by having that approach. And look, I went and met people in HR and I pitched myself. And that was really, really tricky because it happens all the time. I mean, there's so many recruiters out there that want to work in sport because it's glamorous, right? It's no, you're never going to struggle getting enough mm. candidates in sport, but um, finding the best ones is really, really tricky. So what, what was so. the pitch then? What did that sound like? Because like you said, you haven't got a track record. Yeah. But you said to me that you really lent into this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this has been my recruitment experience, Yeah, is what you, you know, when we were prepared for this, what it sounded like. But what did those early meetings sound like? Because mm. I think that'd be interesting for people. Yeah. So before I said, I pitched myself and did the big sell, 
I always ask them what they're doing at the moment because it's very hard to sell yourself if you don't know where the the challenges are. I think mm. it's very easy sometimes to be like, we're the best, we do this, we do this. But actually, I wanted to understand, right, where can I help? Because there were conversations where actually like everything's going pretty well and mm. our recruitment firm are doing a good job. And that's okay. I wasn't like, oh, gutted. Mm. I was kind of interested. What they're doing well? Okay. If they weren't, if they're not doing so well, what are you struggling with? Is it time to mm. hire? Is it the quality of the candidates? Is the type of people you're seeing? A lot of people were saying diversity, not seeing very diverse candidates. And I, and then my angle, my selling was that I've spent four and a bit years championing people that don't look great on paper but are great in the job. Mm. And here's an example of a few placements that I did. And although it was in a completely different industry, they saw my passion for that. Love that. And then when they bought into that, they were like, okay, let's have a shot. Look, you, the beauty of what we do sometimes is that you don't have to give any money up front. Mm. Just let me show you. Just let me show you. So my the most rewarding thing about what I have done in recruitment or the placements that I've made is when I've placed someone where the hiring manager said no initially. Those are my favourite recruitment mm. processes because that is the value we can bring. Because I can send you five clones of the brief that you've given me and that's fine and you'll interview them and there may be someone that interviews well and you offer them a job. But then they get complacent after six or 12 months and then they're looking again. Whereas if you give someone an opportunity that's so hungry for it and is so keen to make an impression, has got their back up a little bit, they will stay longer mm. and they will be a leader in that business because they'll be forever grateful that they got a shot. So that's the narrative that I try to go down and a few I love people- that believed in it so okay so in the first month by having that approach you were able to start working on some jobs beginning yeah. the short and with that approach did you have to start at 15 percent? yeah <laughs> yeah exactly because if that's yeah, what they're being I used did. to right i did but i, I think did. that that's just good to share because you got to start somewhere and i think yeah. which we'll get onto. i think as soon as you have those like case studies like track record then it it becomes a lot more easier right yeah. and this is what you was working towards like just being given a short also for yourself to be able to like prove to yourself that you can bring that same approach and outcomes to this industry that you've never done before. So first month, but then you weren't successful. Mm. That was tough. Did you really think about... Yeah, I just was like, can I do this? Mm. You know, have I just been in this bubble where like everyone succeeds? And it's such a good platform in my last business that I was like, okay, I've come out of the bubble and now it's like I've I've had to start again. I've almost think like I've I've been in recruitment two years. Mm. You know, sometimes that's how I think about it. So when I failed, I was like, okay, why did I fail? What could I have done differently? Reviewed it. And then I just had to go again because my mentality when I I pitched JLB to begin with is that I will not fail. Mm. I refuse to fail. I have that mentality in probably all areas of my life where I do, I will not fail. Mm. And that comes at a cost, you know, mentally that is exhausting at times, but I just wasn't going to fail. So got back up, got another job on, worked it. And then it was just before we went away for like the Christmas break. And I remember standing in the pouring rain in like Oxford Circus and the third offer had been declined for this one job. And I was like, just before Christmas. Yeah, just before Christmas. I was like, What's going on? Like, what's I, 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 I and can't. Well, the declined it. Yeah, candidate declined oh, it, and Didn't um, he just got. Pay, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> he just he just got a pay rise before their January reviews, oh. and he was like, "I can't. It's not. Doesn't make any sense to me." So I learned the hard way, but I always remember those times because when things come to me now and things are easy. I don't take it for granted. And mm. I try and I try and implement that to my team because when I've hired people into the business, they've often been hired in a time where things are going really, really well. So that's all they know. The first guy that hired Steph, he came in at a time where I had loads of jobs on and it was great. And we were working with some premiership football clubs, working with some really interesting sports teams. And then all of a sudden it took a dip and he was like, what happens now? I was like, well, you've got to get back on the phone and you've got to go meet people. And it's good to to realise that this is a really, really tough job, but it's incredibly rewarding if you get it right. So then four months 
got your first placement. Yeah. And then, so the first placement was in, was in January. And then in February, I made two deals. And then March, I made three. Mm. And then I hired someone and we made four. And to be honest, since then, it's, we haven't blanked any, there's no, been mm. no blanks, which has been great. And we've always built a minimum of about 15 grand. And, and we've just basically grown the team as the numbers have gone up. Now, mm-hmm. I know sometimes that's maybe not the best way of doing things. I hadn't come from, I hadn't had any experience in doing this. And to be honest, I was given the freedom to an extent to, Dan, if your gut's saying we need to hire one more person, let's hire them. The challenge, we can maybe come on to that, but the challenge about hiring, everyone wants to work in sport. We'd post a sports recruitment advert and one of our adverts got 850 applications, wow. 850 applications. So there's no sort of, we, we didn't find it tricky to find good people. Uh, we just wanted to find people that were in it for the right reasons. The wrong reasons were, I just want to tell my mates I work in sports. Sports recruitment sounds really cool. Sounds, sounds cool. Exactly. Yeah. The right reasons are actually this industry needs mm. a big upgrade at this level and I want to make a difference. So... So let's just talk about, I want to go into like Dan, the business owner journey, because I think that'd be really interesting. But just to sort of build on what we've just been talking about, which is really painting a picture of what you have to go through if you're building a business, a market from scratch and how long it might take, the knockbacks you get along the way. So you then, like you said, from January, then could you continue to build on that? Mm. So then from January, once you had that placement did you do anything differently what did your pitches and how did you then approach things did you then really make sure that you used that success that you'd mm. done like what how did you then approach things from from that point that meant just because you get one placement doesn't mean then it goes yeah. in that direction right so what of course what did you then change or do differently do you think or what are you really leaning in, into that you think gave you that opportunity to keep growing each month sure so naturally when you make a deal your confidence goes up so when I was on my next pitch or when I got in front of someone else, I was like, yeah, we just did this. And you can obviously leverage that. But I just think my mentality changed around, right, let's not be negative here. Things are still going to be tough, but I've got one person that I found a new job for and I can leverage that and I can talk about that story and talk about how I did it. So I think I wasn't doing anything dramatically different. I mm. think just my mentality in every phone call, I just had a bit of like a swagger, a bit of like, I can do my this. Self-belief. I can do this now and I can think bigger. At the start, I was just like, I've just got to place one job a month, right? Just get, let's do 12 placements this year. That's what yeah. I thought was uh, the point I was at. And, that, and I know that's really like, that's not the biggest goal in, in year one, but I was like, okay, let's just try and 12, find 12 people a job. And then I was like, no, let's think bigger than that. Let's think way bigger than that. Let's work with five key businesses in sport and let's try and build out their marketing teams. That was my first first mm. thought. But look, after my first placement, I just I just had so much more belief in myself and I'd just gone so, th- through such a rocky road in the last 12 months where I went to New York, had to come back, did it remotely, fell out of love with recruitment, started a new business from scratch, had a lot of no's. And then one person was like, yes, we're going to hire this person. I was like, okay. I, I was near, I remember I was like, I was got quite emotional because I was like, this is so hard, but I can do it. Mm. And then once I'd done one, I was like, okay, game on here. I know what I'm doing now to an extent. And uh, and it just sort of it, it flourished from there. So what's been your most consistent, effective way of winning great clients then? Because like you said, you had limited BD exposure, like a lot yeah. that came inbound. You'd spoken about, I really love just the approach of sharing people your story and, and getting time with them and these things. But then how have you really approached that that's, that's worked for you consistently? Keeping in touch with my candidates. Keeping in touch with my candidates is key. And I've got people that have come back to me in the last month or so that I spoke to about a year ago. But they've been following my journey and they've been following the team's growth. And now they're coming back to me. People that I've placed now are coming back to me as well. But I didn't have any tricks or tips 
tips at the first. Like I remember making cold calls in my first week and I remember like shaking and be like, what is going on here? Like this is so outside my comfort zone. But for a normal recruiter, that'd be like- Why is you so- Well, I was like, oh my God, what if they say no? (laughs) I said, what if they say no? Or what if they hang up the phone? And then I realised like, you're going to get a lot of no's doing this. And the reason that I did, I started JLB is because I knew there was something in me that just wanted to see if I could do it. See if I could run a business, see if I could build something from scratch. And it was really, really challenging. But I just, I think my, my BD tactics were just get in front of people. If I can get in front of someone, I think I can get them to buy into me. And you could mm. call that overly confident or arrogant, but I just, I, I had to go into that thinking that because if I didn't, then people would read that. People think, oh, this guy's not serious or he's not worth our time. So I just went in and was like, this is who I am. This is my story. You either mm. like me or you don't, and then I'll meet someone else. It's just, and you really leverage your candidate, the candidate network, and just yeah. the people that you've spoke, you've spoken to. Exactly, exactly. And I told them about. I had to educate so many people on what recruitment is. You go into different industries like finance, tech, cyber, mm. and there's loads of recruiters out there, and people know what recruiters do in sport. A lot of people don't know what recruiters actually do because they've just got jobs through their own network, mm. or they've just applied to a LinkedIn advert. So, yeah. A lot of that was not just finding a new market, being a competition, but telling people what recruitment is. And that's an extra layer. But if you can do that in a really successful way, then they're always going to come back to you because you were the ones that showed them the value in what you do. So obviously we've spoken a lot about the initial period. Would you do anything differently now? So if someone's listened to this, they're week one, like you were, you know, their hands are shaking, they're calling people, might be a brand new market, or they've got covenants, they can't call their old... Uh, clients like would you do anything different in those first like 90 days I think I could have thought bigger right Mm. I I, at the start it was like as I said premiership uh, premier league football teams right sports a global industry and there's so many sports organizations out there and also maybe I wouldn't have gone for the traditional sports teams and leagues maybe I would have gone for some smaller like sport tech companies or startups that needed help so yeah I think bigger and don't think mainstream at the start Often the most mainstream sports and the mainstream teams often the trickiest to work with, which I've learned the hard way. So I would have looked bigger at the start. That's probably the main thing that I would have done. But to be honest, I'm, I'm pleased that I learned the hard way. You know, I'm pleased I made those mistakes. I'm pleased I had those times where I doubted it because it means now I know I really want it. So mm. it's hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I don't think I would have done that much differently. Just maybe think a little bit bigger. Think bigger and then maybe go to the like less obvious places. Yeah. Whatever like market you're in. Do you exactly. know what I mean? Yeah. So talk to me about, like, you hadn't managed anyone before. No. And now you're, uh, you know, responsible for the P&L, what you're spending. Yeah. And now... Managing a lot of people. Yeah, you're responsible for people's livelihoods. (laughs) Yeah. So talk to me a bit about that. Like, what have you found hard about that that maybe you least expected? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincere. Vincere are dominating scores across all review sites at the moment. Are you a recruitment business leader searching for a system to steer your entire recruiting operation to scale? Vincere is not just a pretty interface. It's a comprehensive all-in-one platform that's proven to boost productivity and ROI. It's an award-winning recruitment software trusted by over 20,000 recruitment agency leaders worldwide. Vincere empowers you and your consultants to take your agency to the next level. Just don't take my word for it. You can head over to places like Captera, TrustRadius, G2 and Trustpilot, where you're going to see hundreds and thousands of top tier ratings that speak for themselves. 
Because you listen to this podcast, you're able to get exclusive savings on this brilliant product. So check the link in the show notes, head over to Vincherry and get your hands on the discount and check out Vincherry as a system for your business. So I played, I played a lot of rugby growing up and I was in a position where I was a bit of a leader and I love that part of my job, right? But I'm actually not the most extroverted guy. I actually love my own space and love quiet time. And I'm not there banging the walls on a Monday morning saying, right, let's make loads of deals. That That is my version of, um, I don't want to say hell, that's quite a strong word, that's, that's but, but it's not me. It's not, not me, you. right? But I craved, I craved giving someone the exposure to recruitment that had never been in it before because I think it's just been, it's been a brilliant career path for me. I had mm-hmm. my doubts at times. I fell into it like everyone else, but it's given me so much. And I was, I was craving that opportunity to teach someone, train someone and show them how it can basically transform them, their lives in a, in a, it sounds dramatic, but in a lot of ways it has done to me. So I think, yeah, managing like seven, nearly eight people when, when he starts in October, I've had to prioritise my own time more, but having not managed anyone before, I think it, the, the good thing was it, the way that we scaled is we hired one person sort of eight months in, then I had two months with him before we hired the next person. So at each chapter, I could give a lot to one person and then they'd become a little bit self-sufficient and then mm. I'd give a lot to the next person. But it, it was really, really challenging. And I had to learn the balance between being someone's friend and being their manager. And that's the trickiest bit for me because I think I've naturally got this thing in me where I want everyone to love me. I want everyone to really like me. But you can't do that in managing, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to ask you on that because interviewed someone called Ollie who had to learn that. Yeah. Which was like, he really had to learn the difference about being nice and being kind. Yeah. Because you can be kind to someone and being kind to someone and saying, hey, Dan, I'm, I'm not sure this is right for you. Mm. Because of what you know about them, that that's being kind rather than just being nice. Yeah. So what is the, what's been difficult about that? Like you don't want to piss people off or you yeah. always want to, you like to just see the good in people and the potential in people. Yeah. I, I always, uh, I did a post about this the other month and about the airport test. If you can sit uh, in an airport with someone for four and a bit hours, you probably should hire them because you can spend a lot of time with that person. So everyone that I've hired, I've really liked. I've bought into their story. I've bought into mm. their, them as a person. So when it came to managing, and especially when you're small and part of something that's new, you want to be in the trenches with them and mm. you want to be mates with them because you know that you're you'll sort of fight for each other. But um, what my, I think my strategy was, or with the people that I brought on is teach them the fundamentals, give them the fundamentals of recruitment and this job, right? And give them metrics or KPIs to, to go towards, to, to aim towards. But I am going to be there. I'm not always going to be there to hold your hand because I want you to make mistakes, but I am there if you are finding this really, really challenging. And also like a lot of my management time is speaking to people about like if they're mentally struggling or things that are going on outside of work, I really want to buy into that. I think a lot of managers may be the perception is that nine till six they're there from six onwards they're not and I think sometimes my proudest achievement is just being being there for my team when it's not about recruitment when they've had really tough moments in their Mm. personal lives that is mentally draining for me but it's the sacrifice that I've chosen to make um to build to build a business so I had no management experience I now manage seven nearly eight people I've learned a lot of tough lessons along the way I will continue to learn a lot of tough lessons but it showed me that that's a part of the job I love I really, really love managing people and being that that person that they can go to when they need help. It's, yeah, not an easy job. And then what have been some of your steepest learning curves on like the business side? Or is yeah. that something that the the partner with the guys has really helped with? But like what, what's been 
Because often you tell me, but I think sometimes the the perception of you know starting your own business, what often people can be really find really daunting is like I've never had access to or I had to understand what a PL is or yeah. you know what uh, revenue is to GP is or you know setting up my uh, terms and getting all that or getting paid on time. Like mm. what what have been some of the the steep learning curves there that you've really had to get your head around or anything sure. that you found difficult on that side. The hardest bit about recruitment, in my opinion, is getting the money in the bank. Uh, sounds getting so, paid. Getting paid. So hard. Do you have to chase the invoices? Yeah. Or do they help with that? They do help with that. But ultimately, if it's your client, you've got the relationship, it, it should be on you, I think, a lot of the time. I think a lot of people underestimate this. Did you underestimate that? Because you don't time. think about that. You oh wouldn't my have God. thought about that at Just Search, would you? Big time. Just Search. I make do a, a number of places, do a deal, make a placement, Commission, get paid you know, the following month. Yeah. You know, they had a lot of cash flow there and we just got paid out when it was due to, like a month after we'd made a mm. placement, right? But typically re- in recruitment, you get paid when your client pay, pays you. So that was really, really challenging. And it's, it's challenging for my, my team as well because they're, they're young people. They do something really, really good. And then they've got to wait two or three months to get paid. Damn, like that's not our payment terms, 30 days. I was like, I know it's 30 days. I think my first placement was pretty good, but we've had, I've had like seven, eight grand fees where it's taken the client eight months to pay. Shut eight up. months. Yeah, eight months. And we've eight never worked months. with them. Yeah, we've never worked with them again, but eight, eight months to chase a fee. And I'd come from, <laughs> I'd come from a business where you know private equity hedge funds they pay on time. You deliver a service, they pay. Sport is a little bit different, so um, I think that comes down to maybe that initial call, that initial call with them when we're. we're so how do you approach it now? Because I was literally texting someone yeah. like the other week about how you're going on. They started their business. It was like, I'm still, I'm waiting for these fucking retainers yeah. to be paid. I'm like, because this is something that people underestimate. So like, you've had to learn that the hard way, big time. Which I appreciate you sharing. Like, how do you try and there's only certain things you can control, right? Like if you deliver a service and you've said everything that you normally say and then you send an invoice and I take fucking ages to pay it. Yeah. That's quite hard. But like, how do you try and influ- how do you try and mitigate that now then? How- you just said there on like how you approach it, but like how do you actually approach that now to give you the best chance of being paid on time? So I talk about it a lot on my first call with a client, especially when take on a brief and just to say like, just to at the end, well, not, not the end, I actually prioritise it and say, look, these are our payment terms. Are we set up on your system? Have we signed all the forms? Have we done mm. all that? Because that's another thing that gets delayed. You know, you make a placement and it's coming up. Oh, just checking in. We're going to get paid tomorrow. Oh, you haven't filled out these forms. That's right. another two weeks. So um, I try and address all of that on the first call and not be shy about it. People sometimes don't want to talk about money. Mm. You know, it's like a dirty word, right? But I I try and address that on the first call and say, look, these are our payment terms. This is what we expect. I'd love it if we got a card or like a, you know, a down down payment. That'd be great. But um, often we have to trust that they will live up to that. I think if you build a really good relationship with a client and after you've made a deal, it's not just, okay, when are we going to get paid? If it's more consultative than that, you go in and meet them again and say, right, let's do a review. How did we do? And then at the end of the meeting, go just to make sure we're we're all set to get paid in two weeks' time, three mm. weeks' time. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Um, so you said at the very beginning, talk about your payment terms. Yeah. Have you changed your payment terms to thirty days to fourteen days? I have in some situations. What I've done a lot more recently, as my confidence continues to grow, is we've got half the fee up front with mm. fourteen day payment terms, and clients have been really on board with that because we're so we're then so committed to filling that role. There's no mm. chance that we're not going to fill it. So I'm now trying to move our team. I don't want to call it retained model. It's just something up front. It's a buy in. Mm. You know, even if a client gives you a hundred quid, they're probably going to answer the phone more than they would. They're probably going to give mm. you feedback on the CVs. They're going to be bought in to who you are because they've paid you a bit of money. So I'm 
trying to get half up front now. I'm trying to push that across the whole team because you know what it's like in contingent recruitment. Mm. You run around the races and then you get a no at the end. Like I've done all that work and I've got nothing mm. back. So I talk about it. I'm really open with our clients and say, look, it comes at a cost to use us. And I think sometimes they like that. They like mm. that you value your service. So, um, so what's been like, how long on average have you, it's taken you to get paid then? Most of our clients pay in 30 days. I'd okay. probably say there was 30% of the fees. So in two years, we've made about 100 placements, right? Mm. And I would say 30 of those have been a nightmare. <laughs> 30 of those have been a nightmare. Was, to there, chase was that somebody. quite early on as well? Yeah, some of it. Some of it was early on. I think as we've grown, mm. it's funny when you make when it's repeat business and you make your setup and you, you, it's mm. really clean. But with new clients, which a lot of the time it has been, it has been challenging. And I've learned le- the hard way. And you cannot sit next to someone and be, say, "Press this button. I need to get my money." It's really <laughs> tough. It's really really tough. And I don't see a lot of recruitment owners or people talk about that. But obviously, if you're in a bigger recruitment firm, you don't have yeah, to worry have about to, yeah. that. Have to worry about how, that. How so did you draw that into your team now? Were you like, do you also get and talk about on the spec on yeah. because I remember when you I don't know about you but when you were like employed negotiating terms all you're thinking about is the percentage of course that's all you're thinking about I'm I'm not and maybe like the rebate period yeah but besides that I'm not thinking about fucking when we get paid I'm no. just like yeah, it's twenty five percent. That's what we work to, and I'm just thinking about how can I get them to agree to the highest percentage. Yeah, not thinking about and this is our payment terms. Yeah. So do you have you got your uh, team to yeah, understand the definitely. situation? The, the percentage means nothing if the money's not in the bank. <laughs> you know, you know, fifteen percent in the bank is better than twenty five percent not in the bank. Mm. And it sounds silly to say that, but it's it's so true in recruitment. So not being afraid to have those conversations with. Our I love clients. that. And then have you communicated that? Does that affect when you pay people's commission? Yeah, it does. It does because we pay people. We have a cutoff about the 18th or the 19th every month. And if the client pays before that, then it will go into that month's paycheck. Oh. But that will be from the month before. And you've made that clear to the team. Yeah, they know that. They know that. We've had a few people that have, have learned the hard way and it's really tricky to have those conversations. But it all comes down to what could we have done on that first call mm. to make it crystal clear that these are our payment terms. Now, another thing that we do, which I know is not maybe traditional for contingent recruitment, but I think has been really successful for us, is we invoice our clients on the day that the candidate signs the employment contract. So we have a lot of candidates more at the senior level that on three months notice. So say it takes a month to do the recruitment process. They then hand in the notice. It's then that's four months until they start. There's then another 30 days on top, five months. It could be half a year. It could be six months until one of my team gets paid. And and then you can't run a business on that. And if I had, like when I have those conversations with my clients, say, look, we're a small business. We can't do that in terms of cash flow. We cannot yeah. afford to get paid in six months time. So what we do do with our clients is between signing the contract and starting, if they, if they fail to start for whatever reason, we'll give them the money back. Mm. Hasn't no happened. Are. Hasn't happened in a hundred placements. Hasn't happened because I don't know if it's sport or it's our process, but people are so bought into their next role, mm. so committed, they'll work their notice and they they won't drop out because opportunities in sport don't come about all the time. So they know that they've got something good here. They mm. can't just like keep looking while they're working their notice. They have to take the role they've committed to. So, so yeah. you send the invoice when they sign a contract. Yes, sign the contract resign, agree a start date. Has there been a lot of pushback on that then or has it been fairly There was a start, but now now it's it's common practice and that's the way that we operate. That's that's Um, a good tip for people. Yeah. um, Do you talk about that at the beginning as well? Say like, this are payment terms. We invoice when the person signed the contract. I guess you can share the story that, of course, if they don't start for whatever reason, you'll get, you know, your entire money back, no questions asked. However, that hasn't happened yet. Mm. And then you explain the 
because of the, because of the reason of like it could be six months if we waited until they started. Exactly. When I tell clients that, they go, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you were in my shoes, you'd probably want the same. So they mm. get it, they get it, and I think having that insurance of getting the money back is is key. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip for people. How have you then, in line with that, like how have you managed? Because you have, like you said, you've you have hired people quite quickly. Yeah, I feel like how have you approached? Like, have you thought about? you know, how much revenue you're generating before you decide to hire someone? Have you tried to grow into that? Or are you like quite happy now with the amount of people you're going to have and you're just going to focus on maximising, you know, all the people that you have? Obviously, I don't know exactly how it works with the partnership you have. I'm assuming maybe you have a bit more support on the financial runway. I don't know. But like in terms of, it seems like you might have had people that might not be profitable. Yep. So... Yeah, to, to be clear, we wouldn't have grown this quickly if it was just me, if it was yeah, just yeah. my money. I don't think that would be the right, the right way of doing things. But what, we, what we've tried to do is we've, we've been aggressive in terms of growth plans. And I know to get up to nearly 10 people in two years is, is ridiculous for some people. But what we've tried to do is as we've grown, as we've made more deals, we've identified the areas of sport that need servicing. And then we've hired people to do those areas. Right. So now our team is separated. It's not at the start. It was just Dan wins clients. Dan brings the roles on. We'll all just do everything we can to fill it. And mm. we just grow, grew, grew, grew. But there's only so far you can do doing that. So we've now separated the sports industry specifically into different areas where people focus and they focus their BD efforts. They focus their kind of conversations. They're building a market in the same way that I did at the start. So for example, we've got someone that focuses on, on um, hospitality and events within sport. And you might be thinking, well, that's not really sport, but it is. You know, if they're working for a sport organisation with a head of operations or a head of events role, for us, that is, mm, that's good. We, we love that. So we've got people who do that. We've got people that focus on sports technology. We've got a guy that's doing just Dubai and UAE at the moment. Uh, we've got people that are just doing sports marketing firms. I typically work with a lot of our rights holders, teams, leagues, the more traditional sports organisations. And then obviously we've got a team now that um, operate in the US. And I think one thing I haven't mentioned is that the Jackson Lombard Group, which is made up of three businesses, has got an office in Austin. So we have used the Austin office and their resources mm. for some of the searches we've brought on, which again is great leverage in that initial call, being mm. like, okay, we are in London now, but we've got a satellite team in Austin. And I think people have really, really liked that. So with the when you get to nine, ten people, are you going to be quite happy with all the different niches that they have? I think so. I think so for now. And also I'm conscious of my time as well. It's very hard mm. for me to manage nine people, but ultimately my goal is to in a year's time probably only manage two or three you know directly because they'll have a team and they'll Mm. have built a division themselves so at the moment it's very intense everyone's sort of at the beginning of their recruitment journey they're learning the hard way in a new market remember I've hired nobody from a sports recruitment firm that had an existing network so I've made it really really challenging for myself but I knew the long game was that right we're going to build something here that's different they're going to learn how to do recruitment properly Mm. and in the future in you know, two, three years time, it's going to pay dividends. So yeah, that's the goal. How's the approach on the US? How's that going? A real quick one from me and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated. 
is stale, is delivered by people that did it five, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. It's going well. I mean, we've, uh, of the 100 placements, we've probably, so 30%, I would say, has come from the US side. The most successful way that we've gotten to the US market is by speaking to our, our London clients, our UK mm. businesses, and getting introductions there. Everyone's in the US market. I mean, I feel like I see so much stuff about the US, higher fees, et cetera, et cetera. I get it. I get it. But in the sports industry, a lot of the recruitment that's done is only done at the executive search level. So still at the, like, the mid to senior and the more junior roles, they're still done through advertisement, internal well, tier a, a lot of people want to get into the uh, Everyone wants the to work in sport. Oh my God, everyone wants to work in sport. Mm. I did a post this week about the average amount of applications we get on our jobs because we post all our jobs. Um, what is the average amount? 385 applications wow. per job. And like, is there good quality people in that? Really good quality people. Oh. Really, really good people. So, but it takes a lot of time to sift through. So, you know, internal TA teams will have all these applications come to them directly, uh, have to sift through. By the time they've got to a second or third state interview, they've dropped out or they've gone in another process. So that's our value. I mean, I don't have to say uh, every recruiter says that about sort of internal TA versus using an agency. But um, in sport, it is magnified because everyone, everyone sees a job advert for a marketing manager at a premiership football club. And they press apply. Cleaners, dog walkers, <laughs> everyone's applying. So our value is is narrowing down, making it a bit more simple. So what's been really effective is getting referrals from UK customers yes. into the US. Yeah. And then you've really had to just identify the maybe hard to fill roles, which can't be easily done mm. by doing the job adverts and all those things. Yeah. We work with a really well-known sports marketing agency in London mm. that wanted to hire their first person in New York. And I was like, yes, I will do this. And I did it in three weeks. And um, and I was like, okay, we've got something here. So now the reason we brought someone in is because I know there's a market there, huge, huge opportunity, but I can't do everything. So uh, I think I'm probably going to be spending more, more of my time on the US market as we go on, but we can do it. There's no reason why we can't. And I think the US is probably where we're going to shift more of our business to in the next year or so. So what are you really remaining laser focused on now then? Like what, what's really top of mind for you then? Top of mind is to still give clients an amazing experience. I mm. think when you grow a team and you give people a few roles and you, you start handing them out, your worry is that the quality, it, it won't be as good as if I did it, right? Or if it's not, I haven't trained them as well as I could have. So always to, quality is, is top of top of mind all the time, in, in, especially when it comes to client experiences because they've got so many other recruiters that they could just go to mm. if you don't do very, very well. And the sports industry, especially in the UK, is very, very insular. So people talk. If you have a bad experience, I always, you know, I was always taught in recruitment, if you give someone a good experience, they tell five people. If you give someone a bad experience, they tell 10. And I tell my team that because they need to know that if they mess up or if they don't give a client the best of experiences, then they may not come back to you. And that's a relationship ruined. And that's a client that then mm. talks to a few people. And, and So and what have been some of the things recently that you've implemented in your processes that you think has, you know, improved the, the yeah. client experience out of interest? So traditionally, we take a brief and then within 48 hours, we'll send CVs. So what we've now started to do is say, right, we're going to send CVs in four days, let's say, but in two days time, we're going to have a, a call to do some calibration. So we're going to say, right, these are the people that we're thinking of presenting. These are the best people that we've got. 
and we think are right for this role. What do you think? Give us some instant feedback because it's so often that you send CVs and you're sort of twiddling your thumbs in. Well, so you jump on a video call and do that? Yeah, we jump. So we, there's an in-between between. So when we send CVs, we're, re, we're getting a much higher success rate between the amount of people we send and the amount of people mm. that are invited to interview because we're working with our client. And if they're saying no on someone, we say, we why? why? We understand why. So we try and operate a, a similar to how an exec search firm would work. You know, they get paid a kickoff. They have calibration profiles. They then do first round interviews. We're trying to do that, but in a, a shorter period of time. And it, the quality is way better because our clients are like, okay, they're listening. And if they're not listening, at least they're taking like it on that. board. So the process is do the job briefing call. Yep. Post that. Okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to have another call in 48 hours. Yep. And we're going to talk through some of the initial people that we've already spoken to. We think that, that could be right. Yep. And we want to get some immediate feedback just to make sure that you know, we, we've understood and we've heard exactly what you're looking for, what you're not looking for. Yep. And then two days later, you'll then get, you know, the first round of CVs that we want you to consider yep. for interview. Yeah. And just ask, when are you free in 48 hours time? Have you got nice. that? You're good at doing that. When are you free? What time works? And it sounds silly. It's so small, but God, it helps so mm. much because um, my team get frustrated when they're not hearing back on their candidates and it's, mm. every recruiter feels it. So getting that buy-in from your client, say, look, Brilliant brief. Thanks for giving us an hour. We try and make every briefing call an hour if we can. 48 hours, I need to speak to you again. And we're going to present people and they go, oh, that's that's quick. That's exciting. I say, yeah, it is exciting, but we're going to need your honest feedback and we're going to need you on the call. And once they've bought into that, the first round interviews, it, they, they tend to see a higher percentage of the people we then really? send. Yeah. And then anything else you've implemented in that process, have you added any other moments like that? I think if, that's a really smart one. Yeah, it, I mean, if it's a more senior search, have a weekly update call, mm. have something in the diary that's on a recurring event. I've seen, I've heard this a lot about how recruiters work with their clients, but the more time you can have with their client, I think mm. every time you speak with your client, you're one step closer to making a deal because even if that person falls out, they'll come back to you because you've been so engaged and, mm. and clients love it when you're engaged and passionate about what you're doing. So the more touch points you can have with your client, the better. Learn their rhythm. What's the best time to give you a call next mm. week? When are you typically free? When are your quiet periods? Learning your clients is key. And it's by having that approach enabled you more easily to ask for some financial commitment up front. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, 100, 100%. Because it's that, it all comes down to trust. But the 50% up front is... How do you position that? What's the frame? Like, why? Well, I typically try and only do it on people that we've worked with before. But I say, look... We, Once we, you've worked, after you've worked with them. Yeah, so on the second role that we'll work with them, I'll say, look, we're going to need 50% up front here. And the reasons why are X, Y, and Z. I'll say... I want to invest more time in this and I want to make it priority. I know we can place this role and I'm committed to doing that. So I'm going to need some investment from you up front. It's no no problem in saying I'm really busy at the moment, but I want to prioritise your role. I'm going to need some investment up front um, and I'm going to allocate more of my team to it. I'm going to actually give you two resources as part of the deal instead of maybe just you'll hear from us from CV. So yeah, there's obviously resistance and people were like, why am I paying what's for the, What's the normal objection? Well, you get paid when you find someone good. And when we hire someone, um, instead of just, you know, I'm going to give you some money up front and what, what happens if you don't find us anyway? Um, That's what they normally say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they not say like, damn, but we've just worked this way. Why why do we have to change? I think it comes down to priorities. We really want to prioritise you. And this is the way, this is more of a partnership. It's very much, I think a lot of recruiters, they put clients on pedestals, right? And they're scared of them and they're like, oh my Mm. God, you know, okay, whatever you say goes. But actually it has to be more of a partnership. And I think that's what the best recruiters are doing at the moment. They're treating it as their equals. I'm a recruiter. I'm busy with my own clients, but I, I do enjoy working with you. In order for us to have a really good relationship, I'm going to need some commitment up front. 
And when you phrase it like that, people are, people see it, see the value. And I try and always have those conversations in person if I can. Mm. I always get pushed back. That's fine. But then I tell them about the success stories, about a few clients that have done it recently and how mm. we've operated. And the time to hire shortens because you've got more people on the search. The client works better with you. We give better better candidates your way. There's so many advantages of just getting a little bit up front. As I said, it, even if it's a £1,000, you'd be surprised how good that client then becomes. Mm. That's interesting. Love that. How are you thinking about the next six to 12 months then? I'm really excited. I'm yeah. really, really excited because now we've got, we've placed a hundred roles in sport. I'm really excited for the team to have gone past that journey of the first sort of six, nine months in recruitment and have mm. that confidence that maybe I had after my first deal where they get on the phone or they're pitching to new businesses and they are, they're killing it. And I know they've all got the potential to do that. It's really, really tough at the moment because it's, it's a tougher market for recruiters. So we're getting more pushback, but they're learning what a tough market is, which I think is great. Mm. It's not great when obviously I've got investors and people that I report into that are saying the revenue's down, which is tricky. But if consultants can understand what a tough market looks like when it bounces back fully, I think we're going to be flying. But my, my focus in the next six months is all around the US market and how mm. we can attack that, how we can do that really, really well. I'd like to go over there more and meet with our clients and can and really understand understand the nitty gritty of the challenges of their business, not just I've seen a role advertised, can I work it? I want to know who you are. I want to know your pain points so that, as again, I know how to sell back. Yeah, I'm passionate about recruitment not being transactional. And I think that's why clients have bought into me because they see that I'm trying to do something good and mm. there is value in what we're trying to do. And we're an expert, which is good. Yeah, Dan, honestly, I think like kudos to you on early on here. I'm sure you're like just getting started. Yeah. And I think this is what's so cool about our industry that, you know, when you do it properly and you really commit to solving these problems for companies, mm. you can build a business out of nothing, Yeah, which is what you're doing. Mm. Like you didn't have a previous network, all these things, which a lot of recruiters have when they start. And you're building something which is in, in an area that you're really passionate about. And you've just been really committed to understanding the world, understanding the problems that you can solve. And then you just continue to improve it over time. Mm. So I'm really excited to see you know, where you guys are in another six to 12 months, but also, yeah, like commend you for like building everything now. I think that's awesome because I'm sure, you know, early on, like you were saying, you're like, what the fuck have I done? Mm. Um, but you, you you kept pushing through yeah. and now we're here and like you said, probably just, just getting started, which you are, but you built something out of out of nothing really, which I really commend and I think is, is just super cool about our industry. Yeah, definitely. If it was easy, everyone would <laughs> yeah, do exactly. it. I really so, believe in that. So. Thanks for coming on the pod, mate. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're an online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. 
The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing. They're actively facing the challenges that your teams are. And a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly, and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.